All right. Well, welcome again to H2O. We are really blessed that you guys are here. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Again, Mason, thank you so much for sharing your story. That's awesome. Uh, get to go down to uh, Indiana with that group of people was really fantastic. As you saw earlier in the video, we're starting a new series on the book of Jonah. Very excited about going through these four chapters of Jonah. Very timely for our culture. It's going to have a lot of application to our uh, own personal lives, and so that's going to be really exciting. This is a book, if you were to just summarize this whole book, this is about God's power and God's mercy toward all people. Jonah didn't like these people, but God really wanted to impress upon him that he loves people. He cares about people, and he wants to forgive people. This is not just a book about a big fish and this reluctant prophet. That's kind of just how people think of Jonah, but it's much more than that. It's way more than that in, uh, in this story with, with the big fish. So we're excited to jump into this. And just a little bit more uh, introduction into this uh, book. It's going to be talking about the country of Nineveh, the city of Nineveh. And uh, Jonah is being called to go to Nineveh. And for years, people wondered, is this even an actual place? As they read this story in the Bible, matter of fact, Jesus references this uh, activity in the Old Testament when Jesus is referring back to uh, something in the Old Testament of Jonah. Um, Jesus mentions that in the Gospels, and people were like, "Is this place really exist?" And uh, in the in the mid 1800s, through archaeology and some uh, excavations, uh, they found the city of Nineveh. It's uh, in northern Iraq, uh, right near Mosul, and uh, just a little bit east of Syria. And they found that Nineveh was the capital city um, in Assyria. And uh, all kinds of excavations are going on. And if you were to go over there to northern Iraq, there is still ruins there that you can go and explore of Nineveh. It's a really exciting thing. So we're excited to jump into this series. I'm only going to be doing the first 10 verses. And then uh, somebody else will pick up after that. So why don't we pray and ask God to speak to us. If you want to turn uh, while we're praying there, you can. The verses will come up on the screen also. But there's Bibles there in front of you. We're going to go through the first uh, 10 verses of Jonah chapter 1. So let's pray and ask God to speak to us today. God, thank you for this opportunity to be together, to dive into your word and to understand what you were saying to these people, how you were using Jonah and what your heart is all about. God, we thank you for the timeless truths that you put in your scripture that still relate to us in deep ways. And so, God, as we sit here today, Lord, we ask you to speak to us. Open up our hearts to how this applies to us, Lord, and help us to be um, open to that. Help us to be soft before you and surrender to you. And in whatever way you call us, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's dive right into Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amity. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. 
Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw their cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. We're going to break this passage into five different things and just kind of reflect on what this is sharing uh, to the people of that time and what this means to us today. So let's jump right back to verse 1 where it says, The Lord gave the message to Jonah, son of Amity, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. One of the first things that we can pull from this story right from verse 1 is that God speaks to people. God interacts with mankind. If you got nothing else from just the very beginning of this story, it says the Lord gave this message to Jonah. He speaks to him. We don't know whether that was an audible voice. The Bible doesn't tell us that. Whether it was through his spirit, we don't need to know. But the Bible says that God interacted with Jonah. And that's something that we can take away for ourselves is God wants to interact with you. He wants to speak to you through his word, through his spirit. God speaks to us, and this is the message. It's usually something to us, like it was to Jonah, is get up and go do something. That's the typical message that God shares with all these people in the Bible, the great heroes of the faith that we read about in the scriptures that oftentimes were scared half to death and reluctant, kind of like Mason was just sharing in her story. She kind of felt this prompting from God, get up and go. And you're scared and you're like, God, what are you calling me to? What do you want me to do? And the first command is just do something. You know, we were at Man Makers this weekend. We had an awesome men's retreat and Pastor Wiles did the opening teaching. And he talked about how important it is for men to not give themselves to passivity. And what real manhood is, is to be acting, to be influencing, and to be trying to change our world. And of course, that's so true of all of us, of men and women, is we are tempted to be passive. And the word from the Lord is get up and go. I want to use you. I want to go make a difference through you. I need you to speak on my behalf. I need you to do something for me as my messenger. We move on to the, to the next part in verse 2. He says, I want you to say this. Here's what I want you to do. Here's the mission. Announce my judgment against Nineveh, against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. What God is calling Jonah to do is to go and be a messenger for him, to be an ambassador, to speak on behalf of God, to tell people, you're not okay right now. You're not in a good place. And God 
loves you, but you are in a place of judgment right now and you need to change. Why is he saying this to Nineveh? The second point is the Ninevites were harsh, violent, and feared people. These were really bad people. We would kind of equate that today to people that are terrorists. These people were so brutal and they were so given to torture and they would kill innocent people. They would kill women and children. People of that time feared being taken hostage by the Ninevites because their reputation was that they were so brutal and just mass killers. Jonah didn't want to go to this place because they were so harsh. He probably had hate in his heart toward these people. And God is saying, I want you to go tell them that they're not okay. They don't know me. They don't understand their purpose in life. They're way off track. And I want you to go and I want you to convict them. I want you to speak and let them know that they are in danger if they don't change. The next section says, but Jonah got up and what did he do? He went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Interesting phrase there, to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. You ever been in a situation in life where you'd like to escape God? Where you'd like to escape your present situation? Where you'd say to God, like, I don't want to be around this person. I don't want to be around these people. I don't want to be in this circumstance right now. God, I hate where I am right now. And I just don't want to be in this situation. And God is directing you in a certain path. And you say, no, I don't want that, God. I don't even want to be in your presence right now because of what you're asking me to do. And we want to go in the opposite direction. That's what Jonah was experiencing. That is what Jonah did. Here's a map of the direction just to kind of understand a little bit of the geography here. Off to the east there, he came down to Joppa, which is uh, labeled there to get on this boat. And he wanted to go off to the left there, off to the west to Tarshish. And that arrow for Nineveh there is pointing off to the east over there, uh, over to Assyria of that time, over into the area today that's Syria and Iraq. And so he wants to send him over there to the east. But Jonah wants to go west. The third point there is that Jonah allows his hate for his enemies to turn into rebellion. Jonah allowed that hate in his heart for these people to be stronger, to be more influential in his life than the command of God and to rebel. You know, again, if you kind of just put yourself in this situation and you kind of just try to imagine some of the emotions that Jonah was feeling, he doesn't want God to help these people. He doesn't want to be around them. There's all these great examples in Scripture. When we were talking about John 4 uh, months ago, and we talk about H2O and where we got our name from, and the Samaritan woman, and how people would go around the Samaritan country because they didn't want to interact with them. But Jesus went to interact with the Samaritan woman because he loves all people. And how Moses got called back 
to go and interact for the Israelites with Pharaoh and those people. And, and people are called to go reach the Gentile people in the Scriptures. Even last week we were talking about racial reconciliation and how God calls us to love everybody of different you know, economic groups, of different geographies, of different nationalities. God is a, is a God that loves all people. And he wants us to break down any barriers in our hearts to love them. You know, if you think about a situation that you don't want to be in, and, uh, and maybe you're even afraid to pray about it today. You think, I'm, I'm in this scenario where God's giving me this command. And it could be something big. It could be something very small in your life. And we oftentimes want to like wiggle out of that. We want to avoid it. Maybe we wouldn't call it rebellion. We wouldn't call our friends or our neighbors and say, hey, I'm in a present state of rebellion from God right now. But in our hearts, we're trying to get out of it. We're trying to silence God's voice. And I remember a time like that. I've shared this story many times, and I'm not going to share it today. But a time when I was in rebellion. And I didn't flee to a country of Tarshish. I fled to the country of Texas. And I knew God wanted me here. And I knew what God was doing in my life and some things he was impressing upon me. But my heart was filled with bitterness. And I just wanted to escape. And I moved to Texas away from all my Christian friends. And in a way, I really did feel like I was trying to escape the Lord's presence. Which is ridiculous, isn't it? Because I went down there for a, a year of just trying to avoid God and disobeying Him. And He was there, surprisingly enough. He was there, loving me, leaning on me, whispering in my ear almost every day, when are you going to come back to what I'm calling you to? We move on to verses 4 and 5. Even in his rebellion, God intercedes. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. I want to focus in on this incredible short little phrase, but the Lord. Our fourth point here is, but the Lord. That is one of the most hopeful little statements in all of Scripture. Abby just shared, but God, just that phrase, but God demonstrated His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, it goes on about our sin and our condition, and how we all have something in common that we were separated from God because of our mistakes. And then it says, but the Lord who is rich in mercy. And I just want you to be filled with hope today that we have a God that intercedes. And when we're going through something hard, you know, when you go through those times of like, Lord, I'm just, I'm just not happy with my life right now. I'm so discouraged and I'm down. And we could hear the words, but the Lord wants to intercede. 
God, I'm just discouraged about my finances right now. I don't know if we can make this work financially, but God will help us. My health situations, my marriage, my kids. Lord, I'm so worried about how things will work out with my kids. I'm losing hope, but God, we have to be able to hear him. We have to be able to know that he is a God that intercedes and he wants to make a difference. And thank God for his mercy. Thank God for all the second chances that he says, when, when I don't want to do this or I'm scared and I'm nervous about how things are going to go, but the Lord intercedes for us and he helps us. So this storm starts to rage and everybody's terrified, right? And they're scared and they're, they're panicking. They're frantic. They're throwing cargo overboard. And what does Jonah do? He's like, it's nap time. He goes down and it says, but all this time Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come upon us? They demanded, who are you? They kind of interrogate him here. What is your line of work? What is your deal? What country are you from? What's your nationality? What is going on? Jonas answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for they'd all, he had already told them he was running from the Lord. Oh, why did you do this? They groaned. This fifth point that we can summarize from this last section is that God is a powerful God. And our disobedience and our unforgiveness toward people should bring concern to our lives. As we sit there today and we're trying to be sensitive to the Spirit and we're letting the Scriptures examine our own hearts and we say, Lord, is there any disobedience in me? Is there anything I'm reluctant to? Are there any people in my life that you want me to be influencing and I actually don't like them? I have unforgiveness toward them. I don't even want a relationship with them. And God wants to lean in on that. Matter of fact, when we allow that to happen in our lives and we're trying to walk in the Spirit, it will create storms in our lives just like it did with Jonah. Maybe some circumstances in life or maybe just a storm in our own heart and our own mind. And I've talked to people and I've experienced unforgiveness and it will haunt you. It'll dog you. It'll follow you like a cloud and create a storm no matter where you go because God is leaning on you to love people and to influence people. I love this phrase that when they ask him, okay, here we're going through this story and the first time Jonah speaks, what does he say? They're interrogating him and he says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. I think that's an interesting phrase because is he worshiping the Lord at that moment? No, absolutely not. I worship the Lord. I mean, I'm not presently worshiping the Lord. At this moment, I don't like the Lord. Matter of fact, I'm running from the Lord. I would like to get as far away from this God as I can. I'm not in a present state of praising him. I'm not raising my hands. I'm booking it right now. 
trying to get away from him. Is there ever times when that's our story? We'd say, you know, who are you? I'm a Christian, and I worship God, and I love Jesus. And people hear that. They see that in our lives. And then the next thing they're going to observe is, how are you living? They're going to watch that. And they're going to be able to tell within a short amount of time, are you in a present state of worshiping him and praising him and walking with him? And it's like, yeah, he's given me my marching orders and I'm walking with Jesus right now. Or are they going to just see you walking away from God in a place of, of drift? And they kind of watch that and they're just seeing that. And the people of that time speaking to Jonah said, oh, wow, wow why did you do this to us? Because here's what's crazy, is our disobedience affects other people. I get so weary of hearing people say, I'm just going to do this one little sin over here. I'm just going to live this way that God doesn't want me to. But I'm not hurting anyone. And we justify that in our own minds. When we're doing things that are apart from God's plan or he's given us some marching orders and we're not listening and say, am I really hurting anyone? The Bible says yes. Because when you are called to be a messenger for him and to influence people and you withhold that, yes, we are hurting other people because they're not hearing the amazing message of Jesus and his forgiveness. And they're not getting to experience it because we're closing off our heart to him. And so God's plan for you and I today is that you would experience his amazing forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That you would say, man, I've been let off the hook by Jesus and I am just so blessed to even be in a relationship with him because Jesus died for my sins and I've just so welled up in my heart for what he's given me. I want to love and forgive other people and I want to tell them about this. That's really the story of forgiveness. He's given us forgiveness and now he wants us to give that forgiveness to other people. When I think about this, this topic of forgiveness, I think of this incredible gospel story that I heard uh, decades ago. Many years back on one of our first or second rounds in Bowling Green, my wife and I were here, and we had a staff person named Mike Karen that worked for the radio station, a Christian radio station. And he called us one day, and he said, Hey, uh, uh, to the staff, Stephen Curtis Chapman is coming to Toledo and he's going to be doing a concert. Now, some of you older people might know who Stephen Curtis Chapman is. Uh, some of you younger people, maybe you don't. He's a really cool, now if I say cool, you're already dismissing me, uh, but he is cool. Um, Stephen Curtis Chapman is just an amazing, godly man with great music and everything. So we're kind of asking around, hey, who can help out with this concert? And Mike said, I need somebody to pick him up at the airport and just kind of chauffeur him around. Well, it worked out that Mary Lynn could uh, do this. So I was like, man, do I want Mary Lynn driving Stephen Curtis Chapman around? He's a pretty cool guy. But, you know, he's a godly guy and we were going to get free tickets to the concert. I was like, yeah, go do that. So she's driving him around, and, uh, you know, I was asking her, how's it going? She goes, oh, we're at the convenience store getting moose right now for his hair. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. What kind of moose does he use? Back in that day, I used moose. That's not a thing today at all. 
So that was a really fun experience and we got to meet him and everything. And then we got tickets to his concert. And we go up to Toledo to this concert and we're enjoying this concert. And in the middle of the concert, he, he kind of changes everything. And this big screen starts showing the story of Jim Elliott. And Jim Elliott was this famous missionary that goes to Ecuador with these four other men and they're reaching out to this tribe called the Wanabi tribe, the Wandani tribe. And these missionaries, um, this is in 1956, they were starting to drive over this, this uh, tribe and dropping them like gifts to try to warm them up to what was happening, that they were going to bring Jesus to these people in Ecuador. This was a tribe that was very remote. Um, hardly anybody from the outside had ever been there, and they were known to be a violent tribe. The Wadanis, we later find out, that believed that anybody from the outside were cannibals. And if they allowed them to live, that they would kill them and eat them. So the Wadani people were violent people. After dropping these gifts and trying to touch base with them, they finally landed the plane. And these five men, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Roger Yandere, Ed McCauley, and Pete Fleming got off the plane and tried to interact with these people. The Wadani tribe pulled out their spears and killed all five of these missionaries. It was in national news. It was a, a crazy amazing story of martyrdom. The story doesn't end there. Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth Elliott, had such a heart for these people and believed in this calling that Jim had, is she decided she was going to go back to these people and reach them. It's not crazy enough that these five men were so courageous just following what they thought God wanted them to do to reach these violent people to go out there and actually lose their lives. But Elizabeth Elliot and some of the other wives and some of these other people said, we're going to go again and try to reach these people. And you know what happened? They did. They reached them. They didn't kill this next round of people. And they began to love these people. And finally, through years of translation and all this work and all of this care and love, they began to lead some of the Wadani tribe to Jesus. Jim Elliot has this famous quote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Maybe you've heard that quote before. He gave his life for something that's eternal, that he couldn't lose. And the fruit of that is that his wife and these others went back to lead these people to Christ. So we're at the Stephen Curtis Chapman okay, concert watching this whole story about Jim Elliott and Elizabeth Elliott. And the, the, the video ends, and these two men walk out on stage. I have a picture of them right here. Steve Saint and Micaiah. And these two men begin to speak to the crowd. And who these people are, Steve Saint is speaking, and, and Menkeia there is uh, speaking through a translator, is one of the men that was killed, Nate Smith. Nate Saint, I'm sorry. His son is Steve Saint. And this man that he has his arm around is the actual 
tribesmen that killed his father. And they have become friends. They have become brothers. And Steve Saint is saying, this man who was violent and killed my father now loves Jesus. And he begins to share the gospel with the crowd and this story of forgiveness, of how he has forgiven this man. And there are just tears in the whole place. I was like, wow, this is the most amazing story. And what really brought me to tears at the end was that Steve Saint said, we've adopted Minkaye here into our family and my children call him grandfather. The grandfather that's killed, they've now adopted this past murderer into their family and his children, Steve Saint's children, call him grandfather. What a powerful story of forgiveness. And one of the things that we can take from that is you and I, our ability to experience God's forgiveness and share that forgiveness with others will change the trajectory of their lives. As you and I love people and forgive them and we reconcile relationships that have gone poorly, and it's got to start with you and I with God, and then that translates into these other people. That will change lives. So who is God putting on your heart right now? Are there people coming to your mind that you could influence? Are there people coming to your mind that you could pray for and that you could share Jesus with, that you need to reconcile with, that you need to think through? Man, do I have any negative feelings toward anyone? And I need to allow God to change my heart. You know, when I was preparing this and I was just praying through this, I was like, Lord, who are the people today that we have possible negative feelings toward in our lives or on a grander scheme? And I thought of these two people. I wanted to put this, these pictures up of these two individuals and just kind of let you see them for a moment. And if you know who these people are, I'm going to guess for most of you, they elicit some kind of emotion in you. Don't worry, I'm not going to make any political statements. I'll stay right down the middle on this one because that's not my purpose for this right now. Of course, this is Donald Trump, our president, and Pelosi, the leader of the, uh, the Congress right now. I would consider these two kind of arch enemies right now. If you don't know who those people are, maybe you watch a lot of ESPN and Hallmark, and that's okay. But do these faces elicit any emotion in you? And here's what the Bible says about how we should view people like this. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, it says this. And let this examine your heart as we read it. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked with godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. We can pray for these people. 
We can pray for all people. God is asking us, I want you to pray for everybody in authority. Whether you agree with them or not, I want you to love them. I want you to care that they do godly things and pray for them to do godly things, that they would lead in a way that God wants them to lead. Why? Because our God and our Savior wants everyone to be saved. He wants them to be saved. He wants all of our government to be saved. He wants all of our national leaders. He wants all of our neighbors, all of our faculty, all of our teachers, everybody in our life of all different backgrounds. He wants them to come into a relationship with him. And so we have this opportunity to pray and to speak. So as I close us in prayer here, I want to remind us of a, a verse that we're going to pray through right now, and we're going to pray through for the next coming months. And when you leave today, we're going to give you all a sticker here. And this sticker, I don't know how well you can see that, but it'll come up on the screen. It's 108. And this stands for Acts 1-8 that we're going to be praying through as a church for the next couple months. And what we would like you to do is put this sticker in a place that you'd see it and set your phone alarm. If you want to even do that right now, you can do it so you don't forget later. Pull out your phone and set an alarm, a quiet alarm, for 108 in the day. And when 108 goes and when that alarm goes off, I am going to pray for people in my life that I want to know Jesus. I want to pray for people in my life that I might have some negative feelings toward. And I want to pray and I want to think about sharing with them. I want to pray for opportunities that they would hear the gospel. And I think that as we do this as a church for the coming months, we're all praying at 108, unified in all of our different places. We're praying for people that are different from us. It's going to be powerful. And God's going to do some really amazing things. Because it's about his power. And that's what Acts 1.8 is all about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Where? Telling people everywhere. In Jerusalem, through Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. This was Jesus' commissioning to the disciples and to all of us. That we're going to receive power and be an influence for him. So let's pray for that right now.